You're listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl Podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl Podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. It's easy in times when our friendships are flourishing, when our bank account is full, when the job is going well, when our health is in a good place. It's easy in those times to believe that God is good, that he is faithful, and that he is for us. But it's much more difficult, some would even say impossible, when we're walking through a devastating trial to believe that God is faithful, to cling on to the truth that he is for us, that he has purpose for us, that he has good things in mind for us. It's at those times that those truths are challenged and we may feel that we're cracking under the pressure, that we may be in a circumstance that is throwing us for a loop to the point that we have difficulty hanging on to these ideas, that we don't know what weighs up, what weighs down, what to even really believe anymore. And we may even be finding ourselves sort of distancing ourselves from God, that we may not be excited about the things of God at the moment. We may be a little bit distrustful at the moment. We may be drawing back that the circumstance we're walking through, or maybe it's just a series of small trials you've been walking through for, they, they just keep popping up one after another and they just don't seem to quit. In those times, can we really still trust that God is faithful, that he is good? Can we really trust God even when times are tough? Does he really want what's best for me? Does he know what's best for me? And so I want to just look at that idea today. And I'm going to be reading from John 10.10 and drawing some ideas from this. John 10.10, this is the New King James Version. It says, the thief does not come except to steal And to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. There's two ideas I want to unpack from this. And I want to encourage you in those places. If you find yourself going through a circumstance where you have just been knocked sideways. You do not know even how to approach what is going on. You're shocked. You're just in total emotional disarray. And there's two ideas I want to pull from John 10.10 to provide you with some encouragement as you're moving forward and help you in those places where you may be questioning God's goodness and his faithfulness. The first idea I want to pull is, number one, there is no abundant life outside of Jesus. When experiencing intense pain, our human reaction is to want to find immediate comfort and escape. It's at those times of intense pain that Satan will try to lie to us and tell us that the abundant life that Jesus talks about hasn't been so abundant in him. So we should try to find this life of abundance in other ways. However, if we look at the passage, it's very clear that behaviors and decisions we try to make to experience a life we find in Christ outside of him won't work in the long run. If we look back at the passage, it says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. And of course, that's Jesus talking there. And we can build successful businesses. We can pursue relationships. We can complete important accomplishments. 
But if it's not God's will for us, we won't be fulfilled in doing it. And if we're using something else to try to numb our pain or to fill us, it tells us in this passage that we won't be fulfilled in doing anything else. That the thief comes to steal and destroy, living for any other purpose or distracting ourselves with other pursuits doesn't provide us peace and joy. It's only in Christ that we find peace and joy. And the word that really stands out to me when I'm reading this passage is, of course, the word abundantly right at the end there. And abundant, I don't know what you think of when you see the word abundant, but I know for me when I see the word abundant, I immediately think of abundance in terms of overflowing stuff, like an abundance of stuff or blessings as far as material blessings. But what this word means in this passage, it means super added more than going past what expected. This is not a prosperity passage here saying that whatever you want will be yours in Christ. It's not saying abundant in the sense of some of us think what we think of when we think of the word. What it says is not necessarily abundance in riches or possessions, although God does bless us financially in accordance with his his will for our lives. That looks a little different for each of us. But what it's really saying in the passage is that abundance super added something more in life is the peace we have when we walk with him, the joy, which is supernatural, which is beyond what we can find in the world, which is, you know, we can have temporary happiness, but it's, it only lasts for a moment and then it's gone and we're on to the next, you know, the next thing that will make us feel that temporary happiness. Once again, we can find strength in Christ that when we connect with him each day, we pray, we read his word, we attempt to connect with him by fellowshipping with other believers, by growing together in our faith with them, by attending small groups, by attending Bible studies, by listening to sermons, all the ways that we attempt to connect and learn more about God, that we gain strength to face the circumstances we're in. We gain wisdom to make choices. God leads us and tells us what way to go. We have many spiritual blessings that are given to us when we walk with Christ. All the benefits that walk with Jesus. And we can't experience these if we are not walking with him. We're attempting to fill ourselves with other pursuits. Then we're not going to experience his peace, his joy, his strength. If we're not connecting with him and we're attempting to be fulfilled or attempting to find our comfort and our sense of joy and peace in something other than him. It's in those places where our faith is challenged when we're walking through a difficult time that we can draw back at times and we can not necessarily want to be close to him or hear from him because we might be angry at him or we might have questions or we might be confused. And it's in those times that we compressing even more that we may not feel like going to church or we may not feel like reading the Bible or making time for a quiet time. But it's in those times that when we do it anyway, despite what we feel, that we're going to feel the peace and joy. That really the abundance it's talking about in the passage isn't talking about a life that is free of problems 
or free of anything hard or free of struggle. It's talking about that whether we're going through a trial or a good circumstance, that we're blessed, that we have abundance in Christ because we have his presence with us, his comfort, his strength, his peace, spiritual blessings that really we have no matter what circumstance we're going through. And I, if you're anything like me, you just want to cut out the bad things out of life and not have to ever experience those. But it's telling us in this passage, not that we won't ever have to experience that because it does use the word abundant. And so some of us may kind of associate that with a life that is overflowing with everything good and doesn't have anything hard or any struggles. That's really not what the scripture advocates. It's just saying that even in hard times, that we can have the spiritual blessings of peace, joy, protection, wisdom, strength, all of those things that we need to make it through each day, comfort, right? Um, We have those no matter what circumstance we're in and that it's only found in Jesus that we have that. I don't know about you, but in my current season, I've let some distractions creep in that there's been just this creeping in of certain distractions and I don't even sometimes even realize that I'm doing it. You know, sometimes I'll just pick up my phone and all of a sudden I've read 10 articles that I didn't even intend to, or I'll sit in front of the TV and all of a sudden I've been there for hours watching mindless TV. And you know, none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but sometimes I can just feel myself drifting a little bit and letting those distractions pull me and have dominance over me and take more precedence, I guess, than they should. And and those things only satisfy for a minute. I'm left wishing that I hadn't let myself watch that much TV or just sat there for that amount of time and mindlessly scrolled through articles on my phone. There's nothing that satisfies my soul like Christ. If you've ever been really thirsty, you may have reached for a soda, may have reached for a juice and That soda may have looked so refreshing in the glass. It may have been bubbling with ice cubes. You may have taken a sip. It felt really cold going down. But the thing about soda, juice, or another drink is that they may feel really refreshing for a moment. They may feel very cool on your throat. They may look very refreshing in the glass, but it doesn't take away your thirst completely. It it may cool you off a little bit. It may taste really good. But it doesn't taste your thirst away. Only water can take your thirst away. And Jesus describes himself as living water. He is the only one that can quench our soul thirst. And when we're walking through a trial, that again, we may want to quench our soul thirst. That void, we may feel so empty and so sad and just in so much pain, but there's nothing that really can quench like Christ. Things may look really good on the outside. They may satisfy for a moment, but the abundant life, even if it's not feeling so abundant at the moment, can only be found in Christ. And when we turn, you know, away from him, we walk away from those blessings. The second point I want to bring away from this passage is that the good shepherd brings us good. Now, the passage I've read to you, it doesn't specifically say the good shepherd, but if you just skip down underneath there, 
Jesus identifies himself. I believe it's the verse right underneath. He identifies himself as the good shepherd that he can be trusted. If we look at Psalms 23, it tells us that God leads us not only in places that are pleasant, but he also leads us in dark valleys. And if we look at elsewhere in this passage, Jesus is identifying himself as a good shepherd. For instance, in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's identifying himself as the good shepherd. And again, when I was doing, you know, preparing for this, this message, there were a, a couple of things that popped out at me and in reading through and again, abundant was one thing. But then as I was looking at the rest of the passage, just the idea of Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He called himself not the bad shepherd, not the deceitful shepherd, not the unfaithful shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. If you look through the rest of John 10, and if you even back up to John 9, in John 10, Jesus is continuing a teaching he had started after healing a blind man in John 9. He contrasts himself and his treatment of the blind man with the Pharisees' treatment of the blind man. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. If you read back in John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And immediately after this blind man is, you know, goes around and he's, you know, telling people that he has received a sight, the Pharisees learn of it, and they are not excited for him. They are not rejoicing because he got this miracle. They immediately start the accusations of this man. They want to know who healed him, how he was healed. They are accusing him of all sorts of things, and he, you know, he's answering back to them, and Jesus really uses this example and is saying, that he compares himself to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they did not care about the people that were under their care. They cared about themselves. They cared about looking good. They cared about they cared about observing outward forms of religion. They cared about having places of prominence at community events. They really did not care about the people. Jesus says, in contrast, he cared about the people. He cared enough about you and me and others to lay his life down for us, to die on a cross for us, and that he demonstrated for us a sacrificial love that when you truly care about someone, you're willing to sacrifice things for them, and that's what Jesus does for us. And so what Jesus is telling us in this passage, again, we have this emphasis that God is that Jesus is good, that he is for us. And when we're going through a really tough trial, it's hard to say that he's good, that we can trust him. It's much more easier when life is easy to say, oh, you know, God leads me in all circumstances and accept that his goodness. But when we're in a place of trial, his trustworthiness is much harder to accept. And it's telling us in this passage He's good and he's for us. Elsewhere in the passage, again, it talks about him being the good good shepherd 
And I would just encourage you, if you have a minute, to read through it. He looks out for his sheep and he always does what's good for them. So no matter what it feels like in the moment, those of us trusting and following after God can rest in the faithfulness and goodness of our God. He is faithful in how he leads us and he is always good to us, even when it feels like he is not being good to us. Because that's the thing I think a lot of us will say, well, it doesn't feel like he loves me or he doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's for me. But no matter what it feels like, we can rest in the truth of the scripture that he is the way to abundant life. He's the only way to abundant life and that he's good. He's a good shepherd and he's good whether it feels good or not. I want to close with two stories some time ago, and I, I honestly have kind of lost track of time. I can't remember exactly whenever the Olympics were, some, not too long ago. I was watching a few of the events, and one of the events I was watching was women's gymnastics. And maybe, like me, you followed the story of Simone Biles. And you may have watched her through some of her events and things. But one of the thoughts I had, even before the Olympics was I had seen some commercials with Simone Biles. And for those of you who don't know Simone Biles, she's a very famous women's gymnast, very accomplished. And many people say that she's the greatest of all time. And they said that with her going into these Olympics, that they just had huge expectations for her. But Simone Biles, when I was, even before the Olympics started, there were these commercials that I was seeing pop up of Simone, you know, as they were, uh, as they were promoting the Olympics. And one of the, the commercials I saw was Simone standing next to this goat. And I can't remember what commercial it was, but I was so confused by that. I was like, why is she standing next to a goat? And my son had to explain to me, my son's a sports guy, he had to explain to me, oh, mom, she's called the goat of her sport because that means greatest of all time. And I was like, Oh, goat greatest of all time. I had no, I had no idea what that even meant, but going into the, the Olympics, she had much to live up to and prove as she competed because she had done so well in the past. and, And there was just so much on her. But my thought when I was watching these commercials was my goodness, you know, how does anyone deal with that kind of pressure or, you know, that kind of expectation, because honestly, personally, I just wouldn't, you know, I want to bypass the commercials and want to bypass the expectation and just, just kind of be the one that no one thought would, would succeed because then I could just kind of slip in and do my thing under the radar without all the spotlight and hopefully do well. And if I didn't, it, you know, it wouldn't upset anybody. And if I did, then everybody would be pleasantly surprised, you know? But she, you know, she had all this expectation built. And if you've watched the Olympics, you know that during a performance at vault, she sprinted toward the vault to perform like she had done hundreds, probably even thousands of times before. But instead of doing what she had done so well, so many times before in the past, Instead of displaying her immense talent in a perfect series of tumbles and twists, she got the twisties instead. She lost her sense of where she was in the air. Her eyes rolled back and she fell through the rest of her tumble. I mean, if you've watched the the video, you can see 
her eyes literally roll back and she does this huge sort of twist. She completely misses the series that she was supposed to do. And she just does this big tumble and lands on her feet hard. And you can tell, even if you're not a gymnastics pro, like I'm not, that something was missing there and that she didn't do what she was exactly supposed to do. But as I was watching, you know, I was heartbroken for her because I knew that there had been so much expectation built up for her and that she hadn't performed to that level. And then after that, it she withdrew um, from the competition that day that she walked back to, I guess they don't have locker rooms, their rooms or whatever. She just exited from the performance and then come to find out that she was not going to participate in the other event she had planned to for that day because she was dealing with some mental health issues. And in the aftermath of her performance, you know, and it just all of these, you know, articles were written and people were, you know, fell on different sides, whether she should have done that, whether she should have, you know, kept going. But in the articles following after that, it, you know, she, she made the choice to not participate in some of the events that she had planned. And then she did come back for a selective um, performance, but she kind of had to get grounded again and get her mental health in a good place. But one of the things I thought about when I watched her do that, I thought about the fact that we can go bravely through life doing the spins and tumbles that we've been taught to do, relying on the truths of the gospel that help us ward off the lies of the enemy. We can do so well for a time. And then when devastating hardship comes, we can get knocked sideways. We lose our sense of direction. We lose our sense of balance. Doctrines that we once held to so firmly don't feel so firm any longer. Certain truths that felt so easy to believe feel impossible to believe any longer. The truths that I've been talking about throughout this, like God is good, he wants what is best for us, that we can get just like Simone got the twisties in her performance, even though she was an accomplished gymnast. And this was something she had been doing for most of her life. That she got the twisties. She, if you look up what the twisties is, it's you, I guess, stop trusting your muscle, muscle memory and just because of stress or fear that all of a sudden you just don't know any longer where you are in the air and you stop trusting the things that you've learned and you get disoriented and stress or fear can get in the way of your training and all of a sudden what was so easy for you to trust before, you know, the flip and you, you feel where you are in the air that those things can all of a sudden become a challenge that you maybe have no idea where you are in the air, that you're not trusting your body, that you're second guessing your decisions. And I think in a similar way, spiritually, we, the same thing happens. We can get the spiritual twisties that all of a sudden the things that were once so easy to believe that we start second guessing those things. We start not trusting. We start backpedaling. We start losing our sense of where we are and it just feels like we're free falling it feels chaotic it feels scary 
the interesting thing about the twisties in gymnastics is that gymnasts can retrain themselves in basic skills and learn to trust again. And so when they get the twisties, they have to go back to the basics. They have to go back to simple, simple twists to rely on their muscle memory once again, to do it maybe in a foam pit, to take it really slow. And in a similar way, when we find ourselves free falling in a challenging circumstance that we can remind ourselves of certain truths, refuse to let go of those truths, even when they are so clearly challenged and hang on to them, even when it, it feels wrong to do so. It doesn't feel like it's even true. Truths like God is faithful. He knows what he's doing. Even when every shred of human logic in our being would tell us so otherwise. The second example I want to use before I close this weekend, I watched a movie greater. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's a football movie, but it's about a kid, Brandon Burlesworth, but he was kind of just your average kid, a little overweight, um, born to, uh, into a family. He had a single mom. His dad was really not in the picture. His dad was an alcoholic and he had a dream of going to play for the Razorbacks, Arkansas Razorbacks and going, you know, being this elite division one football player, but he was chubby he, his whole, his family didn't have a whole lot of money and he just had this dream that he wanted to do that. And he told his mom, his dream from the time that he was young, he was wanting to pursue it. And there were a lot of people in his life that tried to talk to him out of it. This is not realistic. You don't have the body for this. You don't have the discipline. You don't have the ability. You're too short. You're, you're, you weigh too much. And so all of these things, people said to him, he just, he didn't listen. Right. And his family was a very strong Christian family. He was a strong Christian. So he goes on to, he didn't get accepted into the college as far as, uh, offered a scholarship, but he was allowed to be a walk-on. And again, his coaches kind of laughed at him because he was so overweight. He was slow. His, he didn't have good footwork. Um, you know, nobody thought that he would accomplish anything, but he just kept persevering. He worked harder than anyone in the program. He did everything his coaches said, and he had just amazing character while his teammates were out partying and just having fun. He was studying. He was riding home to his mom. He, you know, he just wouldn't partake in some of the activities that some of his classmates were partaking in. He, he didn't drink. Um, and he just was a really good example to everyone. And so through his, his hard work, his effort, he actually earned a place on the team. He got a scholarship. And by the way, I didn't mention his mom had even taken out a second mortgage on her home. She took out a second mortgage to pay for his first year of college. That's all she could afford. And in the hopes they would get, that he would get a scholarship. And that's it. Once that first year was over, if he didn't get a scholarship, he was going to have to go home because they didn't have any more money. And so he did earn a scholarship against all odds. And he did very well in the team. He became this very good player. He was named, I believe it was All-American his senior year. And then 
an amazing thing happened that no one thought would happen. He was offered a contract by the NFL. He was drafted into the NFL. And so just life, you know, all the struggles and obstacles he had gone through, life got good for him. It was all of these things he had gone through, those just melted away and he was going to enjoy finally the benefits of all the hard work he had put into becoming an elite football player, becoming an, an, a Division One college football player and then an NFL football player. And 11 days after he was drafted into the NFL, he was driving home from, I, I believe he was still at school at the time, but he was driving home to his mom's house and he was hit by an 18-wheeler. And by the way, I'm going off the movie. Uh, this is based on a true story, but he was hit by a, an 18-wheeler and he was killed on his way home. And what the movie shows you is not only his life, but it cuts in with um, his family, who's also, the, it really begins with them being at his funeral. And then it cuts back to flashbacks of his life and then back. But his brother, his older brother, who many of them thought, many people thought it was his dad because his brother was so much older than him. But his older brother in particular, after Brandon died, was, you know, they were a Christian family, but he just struggled so much with the wise. You know, here was Brandon who had worked his whole life to to get to this goal, who was a person of character, who was so good to so many people. And everyone believed he had finally made it in life. He was finally going to get to enjoy the benefits of all the hard work he had put in and take care of his mama uh, financially, which he had sacrificed so much to make, you know, for him to be at school. And the older brother, you can see him struggling so much with just this idea of, God, why? Why did you take him when he was at the prime of his life? And why didn't you let him enjoy this season of his life where he would have played in the NFL? And there's this scene in the movie towards the end where he's at the funeral, which is held at Brandon's high school. Everybody else is inside except for... Brandon's brother is out on the football field, just grappling with all these questions. And there's this random guy who's just sitting there whittling. And this guy is kind of voicing the thoughts that I think all of us have in tough circumstances. This guy is saying, you know, there's nothing out there in the universe. It's just a void. It's just nothing. It's just cruel. There's nothing meaningful in life. And he's saying all the things that I think many of us think when a very confusing circumstance happens. And he's listening to this guy and then interrupting him are some of Brandon's former teammates. They're putting out these flowers, these buckets of flowers or maybe pots of flowers on the field. And they're arranging them in this pattern. I mean, you can't really tell from the field view what they're doing, but they're putting them out and this one of the teammates keeps interrupting the the guy that's that's basically voicing all these things about what the brother's probably truly thinking. Keeps interrupting. And finally, the brother just tells the man who's saying all these awful things about how you shouldn't believe in anything. Says, you know, I think I've had enough of your company. 
and he walks away and he walks up to the funeral and it's just a point where he decides, you know, it's kind of symbolic of he, he decides in his faith walk that no matter how bad circumstances look, that he's going to keep trusting God. And when he gets up to the top of the football field, he looks down on the football field and on the football field written in flowers is we trust. And basically the message is we still trust in God, even when we don't understand. And it's very confusing at the same time that he's kind of looking down on the letters or maybe even right before that his mom comes out and his mom, who's this amazing Christian woman just says, he just says to his mom, mom, you know, how can I, why did he let that happen? Why did good, bad things happen to good people? And why did God take him? And right when he was at the height of his career or about to launch his career. And his mom said, you know, we can't really see from our point of view what God is doing because we have such a small perspective. But, you know, God has a much bigger perspective and can see everything. And then at that point, they pan out to the field and you see the we trust. And I mentioned that story because I think that tough circumstances, they can cause us to lose or to, to, you know, cause us to falter, to lose our faith in the goodness of God. But even in tough trials that we can rest in his presence and hold fast to his truth, that he is still good, even when it doesn't appear that he is the circumstances don't have to wreck our faith. Holding on to the truth that God is the good shepherd and will lead us out is that which can sustain us when darkness surrounds. And just like the whole movie, really the point of it was that no matter how confusing or how unexpected life can be, that we can still hold on to the truth that God is good. He is for us and he's going to be with us and get us through whatever we're walking through. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, this is a message that you've put on my heart that you've illustrated so clearly to me through many ways. Even in, you know, before I was preparing this message and right as I was getting ready to release it, I just happened to watch that movie and it tied in so well with this message. And I know that this is one that you have on your heart for the people who are listening. That Lord, whoever has tuned into this message, I don't know what they're going through. But I do know that life is hard. That it is confusing. That it throws us sideways. That we can be doing fine for a while and then all of a sudden something will happen we don't understand. Lord, I just pray for strength, for encouragement. I pray that the people listening would combat the enemy's lies. They wouldn't give in. They would keep going. They would cling to truth even when it doesn't feel like it's working. And they would keep going and keep trusting even when they want to give up. In Jesus' name, amen.